All right, everybody, it's New England Alive. I thought, what episode are we on, Cal? I think this is number 11. Yeah, we're getting close to it. Yeah, I think so. We're, we're up on the double digits now. So today we have uh, Dan Nelson, otherwise affectionately known as the geezer or uh, the pig farmer um, from Nebraska. Dan is in town with my mom to pay me a visit, and we thought, hell, let's go buy some really good wine, and uh, let's uh, let's talk about wine on this episode. So, Dan Nelson, hey, the geezer, you are here. Welcome. Welcome to New England Alive. Thank you. Good to be here. Good is it? Beer, drinking the wine. Yeah, I've never been to a town quite this small other than Oakland, Nebraska, but that's okay. How he, big was uh, Oakland, Nebraska? 1,400. 1,400. So, so okay. And so, I lived on a farm outside of that, so uh, any case. How many acres was that farm? Yeah, it was about on? 500 or so. I've been in the family since for 130 years. 130 years. And yeah. So you, you were born on the farm, or were you born in the hospital? <laughs> <laughs> no, in the hospital. In the hospital, okay. I'm, I'm old, but not what, what year was that, Dan? That was 1946, <laughs> right after the war. I'm a boomer. Just turned 29. Yeah, right after the war. What do you think? The war ended and uh, yeah. things happened. Yeah, as they say. So, so grew up in Nebraska. lived on a lived on a pig farm. You guys had a pretty profitable pig farm too back in the day, didn't you? Well, it, it really that kind of acreage is. It was a lot smaller then, uh, but it, it's a lifestyle. I mean, we made a living. You grew all your own food. You grew all your own produce, uh, meat. You had chickens. You had cows. You had uh, everything. So, so. so you told you always tell a story, and I love it when you tell me stories about the way you grew up. And you you said something just now that growing up on the farm, you eat everything, right? So you guys were creative in what you ate on the farm, right? So how many how many head of pig did you guys have? In those days, probably only forty or fifty. But we also had cattle, and we had milk cows, and okay. we had fifty chickens, and and we had everything. So so, so when you would. Uh, didn't you have to like desex the pigs or something? What did you call that back in the day? Yeah, I'm going there. Yeah, you're going there. I'm going there. Yeah, well, it's called uh, cutting their nuts off, but okay. it's uh, a <laughs> uh, castration, okay. basically, and it's, it's worked out very well. You catch the pig, it, and my dad would sit on his knees, and he'd throw the pig underneath his uh, butt, under his knees. He'd have a razor blade, and he'd cut those little beauties out, and uh, we'd throw them in the bucket. And then he would squirt it with a ketchup bottle, a little Lysol on there, and the pig would take off. He'd shake his head a little bit and walk away. But uh, what we did is... Did he walk or run? He didn't walk fast. <laughs> but they, uh, we also then had the greatest nut fries in the world. They called the Rocky Mountain Oysters. Yeah. But we would roll those in flour and deep fry them and absolutely fantastic snack. I can only imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised in the amount of time that we've known each other, which has been, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We don't remember time. that very well, but somebody in this room might be able to tell us. It's a long time, um, yeah. That we've never, I've never experienced that. I no, mean, you wouldn't. I mean, uh, they still do it. It's still there. And if you go, the only place you really find Rocky Mountain oysters is out in Colorado when you're skiing. Okay. And they're really not the real deal. They're uh, basically from a bowl. And they're cut into potato chip size slices and not okay. the full thing. The real the real uh, testicle on a small pig is about the, as big as the end of your thumb. And they're fantastic. They're really a great delicacy. Wow. Actually. Wow. So so you grow up in Nebraska and you go to college. Where, where, you go, where did you go to college? University of Nebraska. University oh. of Nebraska. Oh, yeah. Degree in journalism. 
Yeah. And what was the N for? Uh, and on your helmet, that was, you know, because Nebraska is a higher uh, level of education. It stands for knowledge. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so, you know, we, we yeah. really, we really were yeah. well educated. Yeah. there. Uh, you, well, obviously you got some sort of education cause you've, uh, you've, you're inspiring to me, like, especially with what I'm doing here. Um, you've, you've taken an agency, a very small probably not very well-known agency in the market you were in it um, and turned it into just this powerhouse of people and product and service and everything else. So why don't you, why don't you pop into that one really quick and let people know who you are and what you did and, you know. Yeah, I moved to Milwaukee in 1969 right out of college and uh, started really degree in journalism, started public relations and then moved into advertising last job before i bought this company was vp of sales and marketing for a company called ari we got bought up by ibm and uh so in any case uh started didn't start the agency bought it from a pal of mine who also grew up in nebraska and uh i've run it now since 1988 so what are we 30 some years yeah. and we're actually uh, when he started it in 71, we're celebrating our 50th anniversary in wow. 2021. So how big was it when he bought it? I mean, what kind of, oh, a couple million bucks is all. And, and we had about 40 people and, and that has nothing to do with it. 40 people. Cause today we have a little over 50, but, and we're, I won't go into the numbers, but we're 10 times maybe bigger than that. Right. We were, but, uh, what kind of clients did you have when Stuff, you first bought it? My, mainly, uh, as we still do today, business to business clients. We call it considered purchase clients, but a lot of agricultural clients, and then some construction and uh, uh, different type of industrial manufacturers. Right. Uh, some of our biggest clients. Well, at that time, we had Komatsu Dresser uh, construction equipment, but from that we went on to win Toyota industrial equipment in, in California and. Uh, also some other big golf clients. Uh, we did a lot of chemicals. We did a lot of golf cars, club cars, as a matter of fact, and, and grew the business significantly. And, uh, it, it rest is history, as they say. Yeah. Been good. Congratulations. It's, yeah. it's an inspiring story. And that's, that's what New England Live is all about, right? That's what yep. my podcast is. We like to talk to people from New England. I mean, you live in Wisconsin and, you know, elsewhere, yeah. but, um, you know, I figured, I really wanted to have you on this show because I think you have a great story and I've always really, really deeply respected you and everything you've done. Well, thank um, you. Yeah. So yeah. you've, you've definitely been an inspiration to me in starting 360 Minadoc and where we've taken this and where we go. And, and in full disclosure, I call you every once in a while and like, Hey, <laughs> you know, what, how do I handle this? What do I do? It's all right. Yeah. It's all right. I've got a lot of arrows in my ass. So, yeah. A lot of experience. A lot of arrows in your ass. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a one-legged man, one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest around here a lot lately. Yeah. But um, it's all good. I mean, the the you know, it's fun to do it. Yeah, it's fun yeah, to see it grow. It's a lot of hard work. It, it, it just uh, I'll tell you that right now, uh, as you well know. I mean, you, you guys were talking about working until three, four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that's the business we're in. You do what you have to do to get the job yeah. done. Period. So yeah, I mean, I'm in here most mornings at six, and then I'm out at between midnight and two every day. Yeah. I mean, even weekends, right? I mean, um, but I, don't, I mean, I have family here too, but I just don't have a life. And I choose not to have a life because this to me is more important than anything right now. You're so, launching a business. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So it takes it all. Yeah. So 
the other passion that you and I have besides food is wine. Yep. And, and you have a big history, a very storied history when it comes to wine. When did you get into wine? What was the, what caused you to get into wine? First of all, uh, started really in about 1971. Um, and there was a guy in, in Milwaukee named Rick Martinez. He worked for a liquor store, basically a beer store called Gilbert's. Oh, and yeah. He had a, uh, uh, they sold wine, but the real deal was beer. And But he was allowed to buy some wines and sell them, some high-end wines. And you had, to, you had to open a trap door and walk down into the basement. Uh, to even see these wines. And in those days, I was buying first gross Chateau Mouton, Chateau Lafitte for eight, nine dollars a bottle. Come on. Yeah, it's all nobody knew. I mean, this is the 70s. So, 1971, roughly, 70, you were buying Lafitte's for seven, eight bucks, nine bucks a bottle. What year? Like 59? Oh, yeah, 59, 55s, and 59, yeah. 61s, uh, which Jesus. were all three of those classic vintages. And uh, so. But that yeah, nobody in America drank wine. They, especially in Milwaukee, I, mean, I, I shouldn't say that. Sure, they, sure they did on the coast. Uh, they would have wine at fine restaurants, but generally in the Midwest, there was still cocktails, brown liquor and white clear liquor and beer. And if you had wine, it'd be Lancers or Matus. That's what you could buy. <laughs> and uh, if, you know that that <laughs> that's what was on a, a restaurant's wine list, right? So you never see the high end stuff, but uh, in any case, so I was buying it and started putting it away because it was really good stuff. It was a good value. Well, think about it. You know, in nineteen seventy one, I was making ninety six hundred bucks a year. So, yeah. oh yeah, so seven, eight bucks, nine bucks a bottle. It, that's not not easy. You know, no, but those are the years that I paid twenty seven thousand dollars for my house at Whitefish right. Bay, right? So, which is the high end North Shore area in Milwaukee. In right. any case. Uh, so, the, so I started drinking them and collecting them and, and putting some away, and, and it just sort of got out of hand after a while at my, at my heyday. The drinking my, or the collecting? Yes. And, <laughs> uh, Both. And at my heyday, I probably, well, I had around 3,000 bottles of wine and, um, that I stored. Now, they, you know, and everybody says, well, you, you really are a connoisseur of wine. I said, well, you have to remember one thing, that, that the difference between a connoisseur and a common drunk is a very thin line. So, uh, uh, and I don't quite, you know, I'm somewhere on that razor's edge in between all of that. Right. In any yeah, case, well, but, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I've drank a lot of wine over my uh, years. I still have a lot of wine. So those Lafitte's, I mean, I know you still have some of those because yeah. we've, uh, we had the opportunity when you guys moved out of the house to move all the wine over to a, a different storage place, and uh, we went through and organized it when I was home a couple of years ago. I mean, there's some pretty, pretty rare. And, well, yeah, you gave me one for Christmas. I think you gave me, uh, I think it was a 97? I don't. I probably it was a Chateau Mouton. Uh, it was a Polyak. Yeah, Polyak. Yeah. Polyak, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I remember you said to me, too, you're like, so you can you can keep this or you can drink it. And and I had looked it up online, and I think that bottle was trading over 2500 at the time. 
Well, it was a big number. Right? It was a big number. I, I, yeah, it was a big number. Yeah, sorry. sorry. I, I don't. I know we don't want to give up too much, but yeah, um, yeah no, we drank it. <laughs> we did. We yeah. drank it. It was very good. Yeah, that's it what it's so, meant to be, right? Yeah. You yeah. should yeah. always well, just so, drink it. Yeah, it's all wine is meant to be drunk. Okay? It's, it's a liquid asset. So drink it up when you have it. Unless, I mean, it's, there are people, I've got a lot of friends that, uh, that are they big collections too, but they bought wine specifically for resale. And right now, this is 2021. The wine market is better, doing better than the stock market, and the stock market is doing really well. Uh, but I know I had a pal that just sold. He probably had a million bucks into his collection. Now I'm talking about 150 cases. So, and these are high end Burgundies and Bordeaux's. That I know his first round of those 150 cases that he probably had a million bucks into sold for nine. So he made $8 million and all he did is store the wine for about 10 years, 15 years. So, so that's a phenomenal return. Like I said, it's better than the stock market and it's, yeah. it continues to go up and it, and the market is driven by the Asian market and, and uh, absolutely all foreign, more foreign buyers than there are us, but a lot of us buyers too, but the foreign right. buyers are driving that. And it, but I, I have all of those fancy wines, but I like the little piggy that lived in the straw house. I, I keep drinking them. And so I had cases, and I always buy futures, but now we're down to bottles of each, and they're not as marketable. Uh, to get those kind of returns of 10 times, you need to have full cases. Of I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you selling a one bottle of what you have that's ultra rare isn't going to dent you at all, right? I mean, wouldn't you rather drink that wine and enjoy it because you spent so much time collecting it and holding on to it and nurturing it? That's why I bought it. Right. I bought so, it to drink. I didn't buy right. it to resell. I, I'm, I wasn't in the mode mentally to say I'm going to buy this wine, store it, stockpile it, and then resell it. I bought it for personal enjoyment. Right. So what are your favorite wines? Do you have uh, any favorite varietals that you just, you know? If yeah, but Burgundy and Bordeaux. Burgundy and Bordeaux. Primarily. And uh, I, 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 yes, I like some California wines, but... The California wines, especially the Cabernets, have gone to being so full-bodied and so tannic uh, because that's what the market wanted for those wines that uh, I don't like them as much. I like uh, Oregon Pinot Noirs. I like those a lot, but mainly Burgundy and Bordeaux. And I'm a member of the Chénois-Tisserres, which is the Bordeaux Society, French Bordeaux Society, and I'm a member of the Chevalier du Testavin, which is the Burgundy Organization, and you've been a part of those for 20, 21, 25, 25 years and fifteen. So, yeah. Yeah. so yeah, and it and and so we get a chance. I, I mean, I'm very fortunate. I mean, especially Burgundy wines are are wines that Domaine Romani Conti that I was early on paying maybe twenty dollars for, which is a lot of money, maybe thirty, are now selling for twenty five hundred to three thousand to four thousand dollars a bottle. So, uh, and it, it, no, I mean, you can't, and they sell as fast as they come on from market. Right. It's I mean, crazy. I, mean, I obviously, I mean, if I was going to buy a bottle of wine like that, I'd be afraid. Right. I mean, oh, yeah, do, yeah. do you get a history with these wines when you buy them like that? Like how they've been stored, who, how no. many owners there have been, right? Because if people don't store wine or take care of it correctly, 
it can turn. True, and but those those prices are being realized at auction for reputable houses like Hart Davis Hart and Christie's and okay. what have you. So, no, the, the provenance is impeccable, and that, that's why I say you can't just have one bottle of wine or two bottles, and you you have to have provenance that that's been stored properly. That you. Those kind of wines, they, they, the, the seller provides the original purchase receipt, where they bought it, when they bought it, and the auction house comes down and looks at the storage facilities where it's kept because they're, they're, they're asses on the line too. So, right. But, uh, uh, yeah, and fortunately, fortunately, no, I, we have these wines in these two organizations I talked about. We have those wines. We bought them when they were affordable. We we buy still to this day, but where we used to buy 40 cases a year, especially the Burgundy, 40 cases a year, maybe we're buying 10 for the, and about the same amount of money. Right. So, but I'm of uh, the age group that we are fortunate that we'll be drinking them. What we're all concerned about is the younger guys and gals coming in are never going to get a chance to taste some of these really incredible right. wines because nobody can afford them. Well, that's, I mean, I've had the opportunity over the years yeah. with you yeah. to drink some pretty exquisite rinds and, yep. you know, stuff that you just read about, right? Stuff that, you know. That's what you kept saying. You said, I read about this. I read yeah. about this. Yeah. I've I mean, I, never I, even seen a bottle of yeah. it. Yeah. And I, I think as I've gotten older, wine to me has become, it's like everything else in my life. I'm more interested in the in the backstory of the wine, how it was made, where it was made, what kind of yeah. grape they used. I mean, uh, all of that stuff. And, and because that's how I determine, you know, what my, what the taste will be from my standpoint, right? To be able to pick that stuff out of it. I don't know all the, you know, sommelier terms or the terms that you know. I just know if it's, if it's good, it's bad, what, what my tastes are. Well, right? That's all you want. Yeah. You don't. It's fun to pick out what the different, like, caramel and smoke and, you know, leather yeah. and that kind of stuff and, yeah. and really kind of dive deep into it. But you guys, I mean, I listen to you guys when you go to these. I've been to, what, the Shane Lunch with you, what, last year at Ozaki Country Club. And, right. I mean, some of the those are big, big boy wines at big, that place. Well, and, and uh, we had the, actually the Domaine Pegao that we we're going to have tonight. Yeah. We had um, that last year. Right? Yeah, what do we have? What, what do we open <clears throat> Today, what you so yeah. let me let me preface this really quick. So, there's a restaurant let me in take town. A drink of wine. Yeah, there's a restaurant in town um, owned by a pretty well known guy, and he owns a big company in town. He opened this restaurant called Granita Enoteca, and uh, Mo Kelly, the general manager, her last name's Kelly, so I always call her, and she's from Wisconsin, by the way. You didn't know that. Yep, uh, Kenosha. Um, I always call her my sister from another mother. And, and Mo and I get along really well. We're doing some stuff together with the mixologist creative, right? We're going to go film cocktails and how they're made and all that. But I go in there because they have such an exquisite wine list. They have everything you would ever, well, from my standpoint, that I would want to try. And I, I told you about this last year and you actually went on their, uh, you went on and looked yeah, at their wine list and you said there was some stuff on there that you wanted to, you definitely wanted to try. I wanted to try that I'd never had never even seen the bottles of uh, and certainly never tasted so yes do you run into that a lot that if you're going somewhere maybe you'll research the restaurants in the area and see what's on their wine list maybe there's stuff you haven't had that you want to have and you'll have it there those locations always i mean i look at uh, the food menu is secondary to me in most restaurants you can ask michelle about that she said you spend mom is it true Okay. He's, he's, she says, you spend more time looking at the wine list than you do looking at, at, at literally more time. It depends on the restaurant. I mean, there are restaurants that have 30-page wine lists, and I read them front. How, cover do, to back. how do you navigate that? 
Well, I, I look for the, I go to the unknowns and then the unknowns. And, and this wine list was particularly interesting to me in that it had what I consider incredible values uh, of Bordeaux's and Burgundy's. Then I really don't look at the California wines that right. much. I, yeah. I, uh, they're readily available, and it, it's these little rare gems of certain Burgundy's and certain Bordeaux's that <clears throat> I have I've tasted or not tasted. And the one, the, really, the ones on this list that caught my fancy were the Bandals from Tempier. Uh, I, I, I have, I'm a big fan and I probably have 10 years of, of certain bottlings. They, they have three bottlings. Well, they have a lot, they have more, they have rosés, they have other, but the real bottles, bottlings are the Bandal Tempier reds, which are basically Mouverd grapes and they have a little Grenache and some of them is a little Cinso. But, uh, but anyway, the, the La Miquois. Uh, I've got a lot of, and the La Tortine I've got a lot of, and now you've got this uh, Cabuso, which I had never seen. I can't get it in Milwaukee. I mean, I'm on the list to get from the, my local wine merchant to the other two, but I'd never seen it. And so, in fact, that's what we're having today. And we're ha as we're sitting here trying to talk and stay sober, we're, we're, we're drinking this <laughs> nice bottle. Well, you're, of a you're a little further along than I am. I had to work today, but yeah, you know, that's yeah. that's just the way it works. <laughs> and I'm so, fine with that. It's great to have you here in this room. We can enjoy this. But this cabasso is, like I said, I'd never tasted it, and this cabasso is also something special because it's from 1999, and it's from it's a cuvee special. Uh, and I think 89, well, my research that I've done was the last year that they made the Cuvée Special Cabasso. But uh, I don't know that for sure, but I think it is. But after that, it's just now Cabasso. And, and by the way, so that we can test them against each other, we also have a 2010 vintage that we're going to try tonight at dinner. And uh, this is this wine is lovely. I, 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 my own opinion, I think it's really good. I probably would have been better five years ago really yeah it, it's it's not at the zenith it's not on its way down but it's not the best that i'm sure that it was but it's tasty lots of jammy fruit lots of purple fruit a uh, little bit of uh, mushroom um not dusty but not forest flory either but just a little mushroom but lots of blueberry lots of love plum and lots of, of fruit like that. It's got a very organic nose to me. Yeah, it it does. It, it's like that's why what I think you're sensing is why I think it would be better five years ago. But lovely. I'm guessing the 2010 is going to be knock the top of our head off. So uh, you think we should uh, are we decanting that one, or are we going to leave that one tight in the bottle? Uh, don't know until I open it. Okay. When I open it, we'll decide. We'll decide. And uh, but it's lovely. Uh, my compliments to that restaurant, which escape the name escapes me. I don't know. Granita, Granita, Anateka, and Mo Kelly. Yeah, and I. I don't know it, obviously. I mean, it's my first time to Keene, but uh, it, it, what a wine list. And I went and looked at the Burgundies. He, I, I give him credit for making these delicious wines affordable for everybody. I'm guessing he's selling his Burgundy. He must have bought them, or, or he's selling them at what he, a little bit over what he paid for it. And he bought them years ago. And 
and they, they're stored perfectly. And and I'm guessing I'm looking at some of these wines that are half price of what I have to pay anywhere else. So that's I mean that's amazing. And I've I've sent to you pictures and prices of yeah, some of the stuff it, that it, I've it, had in here. It's crazy. Yeah. And so I I'd like to be here and just if you ever want, do, do this for me. If he ever wants to close his restaurant and sell out, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I don't I'll, just, We're not, I'll yeah, take but, away his wine list for him. I'll take him off his hands. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot more where that came from, too. He's pretty into his wine, I've, I've yeah. heard. But um, he's a very private guy, not out in the public. But, yeah, now he's got a phenomenal restaurant. I mean, they've the food in there is just spectacular. And then the wine list is even better. And everybody, you know, it's the go-to place. Yeah. Need, need a break? No, 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 no. Okay. I just... Uh, Okay. Wrong pipe. A little wrong pipe. A little wrong pipe. 99 uh, Bandal down the wrong, wrong pipe. pipe. I, mean, I can think of worse things. Could be worse. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Could be worse. So, so. cool. So, um, how do you like King? It's fine. I, I haven't seen much of it, but uh, I've, saw, I've seen Main Street. And well, you've seen the only place you really need to see in Keene. I mean. Well, yeah, I've seen your office, and <laughs> this is cool. And uh, I'm going to compliment you on that. Seven months, and, and you already got your own office on Main Street, and yeah. uh, that's fabulous. That's great progress, and and I'm guessing there'll be more progress as it comes along. But Keene is a, it, it appears to me to be a typical New England small community uh I'm guessing a lot of very nice people, very New Englandy type people, which you know not all of us in the Midwest totally understand. But uh, it's kind of a Midwest mentality from a you know a community standpoint here. I mean, everybody's you know everybody helps each other out, builds each yeah. other up, and if you need help, your neighbors there, right? I mean, it's it's That's really great, that man. type of mentality. And you know, from a business standpoint, I mean, the community, the business community as a whole, really works together too you know promote the region and the community itself and you yeah. know we, we all try to buy from each other and buy locally so i mean it's you know it's great from that standpoint and I, i've loved it here for the last couple of years yeah that's great um, yeah yeah <clears throat> typical small town uh but what do you say 20 25,000 people there yeah it's around there it's yeah. i'd have to you know google it really quick but yeah it's i think but, it's yeah, in that it 23 24 number somewhere the climate here is looks is very similar to milwaukee in that is, is right now it's cold it gets cold in the winter and snows yeah. and so that's why i don't stay in milwaukee in the winter so. yeah you go south yeah 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 we don't need to uh he can, we'll leave that one out of this okay so unless when you're ready to sell you can let me know you can come back on and talk about that okay maybe we can okay. sell it through this uh through this podcast well, sure get an yeah. online bidding war going or something oh sure that's absolutely does it come with a wine cellar when you sell it is there a wine cellar down there as uh, well no wine cellar just the wine storage cabinets and uh, the sellers are it, it's you have to dig down too deep and there's too much rock so so do you find good so i mean it's cabo san lucas so i mean do yeah. you find good wine down there uh yeah yeah you do but what you find mainly is south american wines and or baja california ironically really baja california from uh, valle de guadalupe uh and the Dobie Guadalupe within that is a, is a is a winery, is an outstanding. They make some of my favorite wines, actually. Believe it or not, Cabernet based, uh, Grenache based, uh, uh, some Malbec based, and also then we find a lot of Carmenere, and we also find a lot of Malbec from Argentina and Chile uh, that you can't buy in America. Uh, because it just doesn't get that far north, but well, that's a similar climate as those areas that those grapes are, are no, growing, right? So yeah, they Argentina probably thrive down there. 
Well, mountainous. You know, yeah. You've got mountainous, you've got the ocean, you've got the microclimates, you've got all of the same stuff that Northern California has. So, yeah. Uh, uh, it, it, yeah. So they make really good wines and incredibly inexpensive to buy and for the quality that you get. Of course, you know, the wine, like anything else, is labor-intensive. Grapes grow and <laughs> and they either grow well, or they don't grow. It's, well, and it's weather-dependent, right? Yeah. I mean, too much rain can throw the can throw the crop off. Too much sun, too much. You know, it's really look for the white the right mix of, of everything, right? All the stars aligning to yeah have yeah, a great grape every, every year. Month. Yeah, and so, so yeah, it, it uh, delicious wines, but uh, truly the really unknowns are the from the Valle de Guadalupe, which mm-hmm. is right near Ensenada, not far south of the Mexico U.S. border. So just south of Tijuana, but on yeah, the coast. Pretty much, yeah, about yeah. forty five minutes to an hour south of Tijuana, and wow. and. I mean, it's. I haven't been there. Everybody says you got to go there. It's like going to Napa Valley mm-hmm. or Willamette Valley in Oregon. And um, but I haven't. I, I want to do it. And we want to. Michelle and I want to go down there and you know spend two three days. Apparently, wonderful hotels and great food and and great tastings like the old days of Napa Valley and Sonoma Valley. And right. uh, so we got to do it. I mean, it, it, it doesn't look like it's inexpensive, but it. Looks like it's going to be a great opportunity. Well, let me know when that happens, and I'll, uh, you know, maybe Cal and I'll come down and, and you know, do a little reality show of your uh, wine experience in in Mexico. Yeah, I could do that. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. document the whole thing, and yeah. you know, it could become part of this. All right, Dan. So in closing, I uh, I have a question for you. Top three wines you never had. What do you want to taste? What's what's left on your bucket list from a wine drinking Top, standpoint? That's two different things. Okay. Top three wines or top. What, give me give me your bucket list of wines that you want to try before you. Uh... Well, give me. I'm going to give you the top three first. The very top of the list is a 1959 Chateau Latour. That's a Bordeaux wine. Uh, also, Paul Yak, uh, outstanding. It's ridiculous. Uh, number two would probably be a. If you say Mad Dog, I'm going to kill you. No, I'm going to tell you it's going to be close, but it's not. It's a 1970 Inglenook cask, I think two cask 209, something like that. Cask something two, oh. for 220 or something. Anyway, <laughs> I, I had a tasting at the Milwaukee Club for some pals. Uh, I was cleaning out the cellar, and I found this bottle in the back, and it was a Cabernet. Uh, Inglenook, I bought it at the Boston store. Still had the price tag on it for a dollar nineteen. Wait a minute, at Boston store? Yeah, at Boston store. Of all places, you could buy. Well, buy refrigerators and your clothes. So oh, yeah, it was. A, it's a bus stores like Macy's. It, it was. It's now long gone. But right. in any case, it was a five story department uh, store. In any case, I bought that, at, and it was the highlight of that evening for all wines, and I had. Mouton, Lafitte, Latour, Aubryon had all the first growths, and it blew all of those away for $1.19. That's amazing. And probably the third best I've ever had was the 1979 Grand Hermitage, uh, which is an Australian Shiraz with a little bit of blend of uh, a little bit of blend of uh, Cabernet in with the Shiraz. So those are the top three. Bucket list. To be honest with you, I've tasted most everything. That I want to taste in my life, and uh, 
Well, everybody would say, well, you gotta, you got to want to try Romani Conti. I've tasted all of their vineyards, so I've tasted those. <clears throat> I've not only tasted well, I've owned not all of them, but I've tasted them all, and I've, and I've owned all the first gross of Bordeaux um, and, and drank many vintages of them. So uh, I don't know. I, there's nothing in the area of bucket list wine isn't on it. So I've been you've, very, yeah, you've done it. So. I'm very fortunate to have been able to right. drink all the most Petrus. I mean, that's obviously another big boy wine. Uh, Lapin, which is another Pomerol, is a Bordeaux, and I, I, all of the Burgundies. Yeah, I, there's nothing on my bucket list that cool. includes wine. So what are we? Uh, what are we drinking for Christmas? What's coming out? Because every time I'm every time I'm back in Milwaukee, there's the big boys come out. Yeah, I, and I don't know. I haven't gotten that far yet. Okay, it's well, only we, it's we can go over and look when I get there. Yeah, it, it's early. You got any more of that Kobos uh, left? I think we drank it all. That was oh pretty good God. stuff. That stuff was, that was just good. Yeah, that. that, no, that was an, that my last that's trip, South American. Yeah, I mean, my last trip is a blur. We, we <laughs> drank so many good ones. We will be having for Christmas Eve or for Christmas Day. We'll be having caviar and some good champagne. So. Uh, <laughs> So I got to pop out some of the Dom and pop out some of the other small little growers of mm-hmm. to go with the sh- with the caviars, but uh, don't know. I, I, yeah, we got to drink them. Got to drink them. But I'm going to live forever. So well, we should start know. digging into the bottom of some of those other boxes. You know, I know there's some, I know there's some really good stuff in there that maybe you've forgotten about. Well, no, you haven't because it's all documented now. But yeah, it's all yeah. that's all in it's all in this new cellar. Right. Of, I know when I come back, you you hide the reserve list from me. I mean, I, I get the I get the front of the front of the cage list. You know, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, well, we've got there's two sellers now because but it's all uh, you're right. I took it all out of the boxes and set to go in order. So you got you got the daily seller and then you got the you know the yeah. reserve seller. Right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's hey, it's what you should have. Yeah. I mean, before you had it all in the basement. Now, I mean, you got to make do with what you have. Well, so. yeah, yeah. Now I got to go to a storage unit because yeah. we live in a condo, so right. we don't don't have the same stuff. Yeah, had, you got a big closet in that condo. I mean, you could, we could probably fashion you a nice cellar in there. Well, we've got we've got a wine storage unit in the garage and another that's wine true. storage unit in exactly. the unit itself, so yeah. I can store. Probably five, six cases of wine between the two. Sure. So anyway, so hey, we got a we have a big dinner coming up. We have, uh, like you said, we've got that 2010 Bandol, and we've got what else? We well, we got a 2010 uh, Pegau, Chateauneuf de Pop, Domaine de Pegau, which is uh, du Pegau, and it's just one of my favorite Chateauneuf de Pops. And that was another thing on that list. I'll be honest with you, that you just don't. See, and two, it's ninety eight or ninety nine point rated. So yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that was what, what intrigued me about. We'll go back to that wine list. Is that there were so many things that you don't normally see on the wine list that this guy has. Yeah, it's, it's truly amazing. Yeah, no, it's something else. And I mean, that's kind of a hidden gem of Keen. And, and I mean, if you if you live in New England and you're looking for a stellar wine list, I mean, you're going to be hard pressed to find that stuff anywhere else in New England. I would, I would think, unless it's a private collection. You won't find it, man. Only a few places in Manhattan, right, are going to have that stuff. And we have it in Keene, New Hampshire. You do. So it's amazing. You know, I, I, there's something to be said about Keene. I mean, yeah. yeah, Keene is kind of a, it's a hidden gem in a way. Yeah, and it, we it, we have some amazing businesses and great people, and apparently we have some really phenomenal wines up here. So well, and restaurants, and, and yeah, I mean across the board, I. I this is a small town. 
and you've got really, at least they are online, let's put it that way. You have an incredible cuisine offered up at a town of 22,000. And I look at this as compared to a place near where I grew up with 1,400, Fremont, Nebraska, or Sioux City, Iowa, that probably has about 20,000 people. And if they have one restaurant like you have 10 of here, I'd be amazed. Well, it's, you know, there's there was an article written. Um, I can't remember where it came out. It's plaguing me. But this was rated one of the top areas for uh, for dining in New England. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's uh, it was it was showcased yeah, really well. Yeah. Just uh, I'm giving the uh, population as of 2019 was 23,000. Yeah. Okay. So. It's a nice size yeah. little town. You got a lot of offer, a lot of offers here. You've got a lot to offer here. You've got I, we saw the uh, the the Home Depots and the I don't know if you have a Walmart and a Costco, but you got no Costco. We have Walmart, Target, Home yeah. Depot. Yeah, well, you got you know we have some uh, big big sure. chain things, but and that's that's for a town this size. That's excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, Dan, I uh, you know. I really enjoyed this. I've, so, yeah. I've wanted to do this since we we put this room in. I'm thinking about all the people I want to have on the show and talk to them about that have a great story. Uh, you were one of them. So thank you for fulfilling that for me. Um, there's a couple other people that you know that I would love to get on here. We got an airport right here. They can fly into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they so do. Joe O'Brien. So, yeah, yeah, he, can, he, can, he can land his plane right here in Keene. Yes. If you could get him, why don't you come with him? Yeah. And why don't you guys fly in? I just need four hours. We can sit down in the room, go through it. He's got a great story. I'd love to tell. Yeah, he's got a great story. And he can fly right back out. Or you can stick around and make sure that when you fly in, your granite is open so we can just go there and you can enjoy more wine. There we go. There you go. Phil Trelace, another guy I'd like to get in here too. Yeah. He's got a great story too. Club car, Textron, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Golfing, he's got. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's that. All right, guys. Well, this was a great episode of New England Alive uh, with Aaron Kelly, owned by 360 Minot. Now, I'm gonna, our sponsors for today's show were, or is, uh, Rick Horton and his team down at Outlaw Brewing Company in Winchester, New Hampshire. They brew amazing, amazing beers. If you haven't gone to see them yet, you definitely need to. I will. You probably need to try one. I've got a bunch in the fridge. Um, you can visit them online uh, at theoutlawbrewingcompany.com or visit them on Facebook at The Outlaw Brewing Company. Thank you for your time, everybody. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will be back to you with another one. 